0: Across the USA, positive news, ideas and thoughts on how to help you get to the next level. David Essel in the box with you right now, broadcasting live out of Studio E in Los Angeles, California. Of course, you're listening to us on XM Radio 246, and we stream worldwide at talkdavid.com. Proud to be part of the Premier Radio Network, our toll-free number, one 800 548-8255, 1-800-548-8255. Five four eight eight two five five one eight hundred five four eight eight two five five. Coming up in a couple of minutes, we've got a guy who's referred to as the monk dude, a yogi. We're gonna find out what a yogi is, what a monk is, and what is the role of meditation in our lives helping us to accomplish goals the monk dude i want to know where did we get this moniker what does it mean you can check it out at the monkdude.com and we'll find out more about that the name of the book is uh, close your eyes and open your mind a practical guide to spiritual meditation and the our my guest name is dada naba Neil ananda dada welcome to the show Thanks
1: so much david for inviting me on the show you got my name did right that was that was
0: cool Hey, thank you. Thank you. So so tell me about the monk, dude. Tell, tell me about that. Where did that come from? Well, you
1: know, uh, I'm, um, I'm a yoga monk, and I have been for more, most of my life, really. Um, mm-hmm. But I have this long Sanskrit name that people usually have trouble with, not like you. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I wanted to come up with something that was easy to remember, and a, a musician friend of mine who's... He really is a dude. He's a very cool guy. He's played with Santana and John McLaughlin and all these people. So he wrote to me one time and just said, hey, dude, monk, just like for fun. Right. I thought, hey, right, that's, right. Kind of, that's kind of cool. So that's where it came from. Okay, cool. And and, and describe what a
0: yoga monk is.
1: Okay, so the, the spiritual tradition of yoga is, is certainly one of the most ancient spiritual traditions in the world. And a lot of people think of yoga as, um, you know, Yoga exercises, physical exercises, but that's just one facet of the whole yoga lifestyle and philosophy. So it's really about meditation and a whole spiritual path. So somebody following that path is a yogi, and a monk in that tradition means a celibate monk. I'm like a, uh, you know, I'm a single. I don't uh, have a partner, and that's my commitment to dedicate myself to this practice and to service. Uh, that's what a monk is. So I'm a yoga monk.
0: And and Dada, I mean, as far as I know, and it might go back before this, but I remember going through some training and and finding out that that yoga, the, the practice of yoga, and a yogi is from the religion of Hinduism. Would that be correct? Actually, no. <laughs> okay, good. Tell me. It's kind of the other way around. Um, yoga
1: is much more ancient than Hinduism. Wow. Um, Hinduism's uh, yoga. Um, the roots of yoga go back about 7,000 years. Hmm. Uh, Hinduism is a kind of a blend of elements from the yoga tradition and from the old Vedic religion of the right. Aryans in India.
0: Right.
1: So, oh, it's okay. more And, and, and
0: Hinduism is before Buddhism and Christianity, correct? correct? Yes, yes okay and but but the, but the practice of yoga and and I know yoga is much more than just the physical practice that we know about in the United States, that goes back seven thousand years yeah the um the first
1: known propounder of yoga, well, this is what the tradition says it 's so long ago that it 's you know some people would dispute it, but what the tradition says that the first great teacher of yoga was a character named Shiva who 's been kind of deified by the Hindus, but he was a man he was the first great yogi and he lived in, in India about 5,000 B.C.
0: Wow. See, now, th- I'm learning a lot from you, because I thought that Shiva only was around because of Hinduism, not that he was around first, and then, then, then the Hindus took, o- took him over, sort of. as a Yeah, they adopted as, him
1: as, as, you know, he, he certainly, a lot of his teachings are there in the Hindu religion, but, but um, that's, as I said, a blend of that and other ideas. Mm-hmm.
0: And how did you get on this path? Well, I'm, I'm from
1: New Zealand and uh, I was a student there at, at university in 1975 and I'd, I had a very overwhelming spiritual experience which uh, really gave me a sense of much deeper purpose in life and I felt I wanted to learn meditation. So I, I started exploring that and, and it, was, it was kind of, things fell into place. Um, there was a meditation center where I learned meditation from a monk like myself right next door to my friend's house and I didn't even know it was there I sort of I sort of just uh with a very convenient coincidence if you want to call it that right. and I I but I found that the you know I'd been looking for answers in life and I found in the philosophy of yoga, philosophy of yoga a lot of very practical uh solutions to the kind of um problems that we face as individuals but also for the society, because yoga has a lot to say about how we should live together as a community and even how we should manage our education system and our, um, uh, our economic system. I mean, the founder of the movement that I'm a part of wrote a whole, wrote 17 books on economics based wow. on the philosophy of yoga.
0: Yeah. And what, what is the most challenging thing about being a celibate yogi monk?
1: Well, a, a good friend of mine who's also a monk, he says... Uh, he says, it's a terrible thing that every day, uh, that there are so many beautiful women in the world, and the worst thing is that more are being born every day. <laughs> 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 so and, and, amongst, yeah. suspect, amongst the perspective yeah. is perhaps a little different than most men, so that we view this as a terrible thing.
0: Yeah, uh, right, right, right. And, and how do you deal? <laughs> like, like how do you deal with the natural urges of being a sexual human being? Good question,
1: and one that most people don't quite have the guts to ask. So um, thank, thanks for that. That's cool. Now, there, mm. there are a lot of things in the yoga practice and, and discipline that really help to balance energy. Mm-hmm. So, for example, um, as a part of our discipline, we practice yoga asanas, and, and one of the uh, effects of those is they balance the, the secretion of hormones in the body mm-hmm. and bring about a real sort of mental equilibrium. And we practice fasting and vegetarian diet. We don't drink alcohol. Um, so all of these things make it easier to control desi- mm. sexual desire if you, if you, you know, feel that's important. But the most important thing is to have something... You know, I, I chose this path because I wanted to dedicate myself to something that I felt was more important than me. Right. And so you're kind of channelizing your creative energy into something very constructive and to serving others. And I find it very, very satisfying... Um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. you know, sexual energy, is, it's, it's just kind of energy. So what we practice in, your, in, in the kind of discipline that I follow is, is redirecting that energy to express it in another way that we feel is very is constructive.
0: Yeah, You know, there, there was a term used in, in a, a very popular book, Think and Grow Rich, by Napoleon Hill, that was called sexual transmutation. And they said that that if you could take, like a, a lot of, of um, great salespeople have very high sexual energy, and if they could take that sexual energy and transmute it away from the sexual desire into the position that they're working with, that as a salesperson, they could achieve, there would be no limit to what they could achieve.
1: Isn't that interesting? I, I I haven't. I read part of that book. I didn't read that part. I would have remembered it. Um, yeah, I bet but, you would have. <laughs> <laughs> but certainly, what we do in our practice is is we're rechanneling. You know, a part of um, the yoga practice um, is what's called bhakti yoga or devotional yoga. So it's really cultivating yes. a feeling of love for God. Mm. And so that's I think very important to feel emotionally complete. And so a lot of a lot of people's you know, many people suffer from sexual frustration or maybe overstimulate them that way. And a lot of it's that they just want to feel whole. They want to be loved. They want to feel complete.
0: But if Absolutely. you satisfy
1: that on another level, then it's not a frustration.
0: I love it. My guest right now, and here's the website. If you want to visit more to find out more about my guest, Dada, go to com. TheMonkDude.com. We'll be back to talk more with Dada about his path, the role of meditation, how to do it when you can't sit still. It drives you on nuts to sit still. How do you get into meditation and what are the benefits? You're tuned in to America's Positive Radio Talk Show. More about the show and everything else we do at TalkDavid.com. I'm David Essel. Stay right there. You're tuned into America's Positive Radio Talk Show. Welcome aboard, David Essel alive. Of course, David Essel in the box right here, 1-800-548-TALK, 1-800-548-TALK. We're talking uh, spiritual paths and meditation. My guest is Dada Nabanil Ananda. His website, www.themonkdude.com. Dada, explain, define meditation. Just define what that means.
1: Well, there's lots of different um, definitions, but the one I like is that it's a kind of concentrated thinking. And spiritual meditation, which is the kind of meditation I teach and practice, is focusing on, uh, on the Internet. You say concentrated thinking, but concentrating on infinite consciousness or the source mm. of consciousness, consciousness within ourselves.
0: And, and when you say the source of consciousness within, is that within ourselves and externally, like a God force, or strictly within ourselves?
1: Well, um, I would see, the, you know, God to me is something universal, like a universal consciousness that pervades and surrounds the universe. hmm And so I would see that as synonymous with, or, or that our own consciousness is like the mini version of that which we experience internally, primarily.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so it's, so it's spiritual. It's an, inward, med-
1: it's an inward practice, but I think everything is consciousness ultimately.
0: Okay, so, so the spiritual meditation then is focusing on the God within. Yes, and um, why do we a non-dogmatic
1: strung- idea of God? You know, something beyond the imagination, infinite. Well, kind of like the Bible says, you know, omnipotent, omniscient, omnivorous. Right. No, sorry, not that. <laughs> no,
0: right. why do we have a, such a hard time in, in the United States of America and I know other countries as well sitting and learning a technique like a spiritual meditation
1: well because the culture that we've been brought up in and are surrounded by doesn't reinforce it encourages us to seek happiness and fulfillment externally so what we're learning through in meditation is turn our minds inward and connect to the actual source of happiness I mean, logically, we kind of know that happiness doesn't come from objects, but we continue to behave as if it does, because mm. it's the way we've been conditioned. So the short answer is faulty conditioning.
0: Right. Now, are we talking about a form of meditation, Dada, that we go to no thought, where that we sort of go within and we, and we ride that wave within and we go to a place where we lose concentration and we're just in this blissful experience? Or is it more of a concentration where you always stay in touch consciously?
1: It starts. <clears throat> it starts as a concentration, if you like. But that's what leads you to a blissful place. You know, if eventually it may not happen for quite a long time. Right. But uh, and in that blissful place, you're like there's no effort. I mean, you're you're there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's you know what people generally experience for the first I don't know months years is a pleasant feeling and and feeling more peace of mind, more able to love others, uh, more able to love themselves, which is where it starts, I think, Mm. and um, just uh, more balanced emotionally. A lot of very positive kind of emotional mental states come and lead us towards a a more sublime experience, which, you know, that's a kind of more long-term goal.
0: And, and how long, if someone were to sit and practice meditation, I know you have your book, Close Your Eyes and Open Your Mind, how long does someone have to meditate and how many days per week in order to get benefits that, that we would see as pretty powerful?
1: I recommend that people practice every day, twice, in the morning and mm-hmm. evening. And what I, would, what I encourage my students to build up to is 30 minutes twice a day. Uh, now they're not going to start on that usually. Some people do, but not, it's not very common. They might start on ten minutes a day. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but the thing that makes it a lot easier for people to get into it and get into the mood is using music and chanting, because that sets the tone. If you like it, you, well, if you really use this kind of blissful chanting music, very beautiful music and and spiritual chanting using mantras, which induce a state, a meditative state. Then when you begin to, sit to focus. It's just so much easier because you're already in the mood.
0: Many many people that listen to talk radio um, at some point in their life, currently in the past in the, in, in, or maybe even in the future, will know individuals that struggle, if not themselves. They'll know others that struggle with addiction, depression, insomnia, relationship challenges. How does this act and this practice of spiritual meditation Address those conditions, number one, and how would someone with those conditions be able to do this work?
1: So you kind of got two separate questions there. Yeah. The first one is how does you know how is meditation going to help you with those problems? So right. Uh, addiction, well, and they're big questions, and we don't have a lot of time, so I don't want my I mean I hope my answers don't sound superficial, but I'm going to try and address them quickly. Okay. Uh, addiction is um, the addiction psychology is about us trying to satisfy a deep kind of yearning for, for happiness, bliss, a certain sort of state of mind. You know, why do humans in all different cultures tend to resort to different kinds of drugs and to- toxicants, mind-altering substances? It's not something that animals typically do. It's You're because right. we have something uniquely human, and I would call it the, in Sanskrit the Bhagavad Dharma, our divine nature. We, we, we know deeply that we want something more. Now if we satisfy that in a wholesome way through meditation by connecting more fully to our own divine nature we lose the frustration you know it's frustration that drives people to addictive substances. Mm-hmm. We satisfy the urge and then we don't the desire goes away and meditation's been proven to be very effective in addiction um, treatment. I have a psychologist friend who teaches meditation to his patients, and he said he's written a book. It's called The Only Thing That Works. Mm. And in his experience of 30, 40 years of dealing with uh, many, many, many young people uh, addressing addiction, he's found that meditation is the most effective method of getting them to really come off these things long term. Right. Now, how to get them to actually practice it, um, because often people, especially people that are heavily into drugs or addictive substances, they can't concentrate easily. They, they are not good at disciplining themselves. Um, you know. So, you know, aware of that. So, again, the thing, the tool that I find that really helps people get into it easily is music. Because and, even somebody yeah, who. Go, we, we've
0: got about a minute, Donna, we've got about okay. a minute and a half left, but go into that point because I think this is really important.
1: Okay, well, spiritual chanting with beautiful music is the easiest and most effective way I know of leading you into meditation so that it becomes effective.
0: When when you started in, on your path, was music and chanting always a part of it or did it come later on?
1: It came a little later on. It wasn't there at the very beginning.
0: Because, you know what, I asked you that question, Dada, because I know in the beginning of my practice of meditation, it was such, uh, it was so brutal, it was so difficult because I was a person always of action and it wasn't until someone introduced me to utilizing music in the background while I was meditating that my brain started to actually calm down enough for me to stick with it.
1: Mm-hmm. I, use, I, I mean, I'm a musician. I grew up playing music, but I didn't connect it with my meditation practice for a few months. And when it clicked, mm-hmm. it was blissful. I suddenly, oh, wow, this can take me into a completely different place. And yeah. since then, I've used it all the time, and I use it in my teaching a lot. And it's a, such a powerful, beautiful, useful tool because it brings your emotions into it. It's no longer a brain exercise. It's, it's, it's about feeling.
0: Yeah, I love it. The, the name of the book, Close Your Eyes and Open Your Mind, A Practical Guide to Spiritual Meditation, the website is themonkdude.com. My guest, Dada Nabhanil And Dada, do you have a final 30 seconds of wisdom for our listeners?
1: You know, there's a beautiful saying from a very wise man I once met, which says that in all living beings there's a thirst for limitlessness. Mm. We all want to touch the infinite, to touch the divine. And to do that, we can turn our minds inward. It's something anyone—it's something we're meant to do. We're designed for it.
0: And through the practice of meditation, one of the avenues to get there. Dada, it was wonderful to talk to you today. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Good. monkdo.com. Check it out. And if you want to listen to this again, of course, all of our shows are archived. You can go to TalkDavid.com to listen to all the amazing authors we've had for the last several years now. Just go to TalkDavid.com. Coming up, your emails, your text. We'll be getting to all of your stuff as well as your phone calls. 1-800-548-TALK. I'm David Essel. Stay there. the USA every Saturday, 6 to 9 Eastern, 3 to 6 Pacific. Hey, here's a question that came in from one of our listeners and on our toll-free number if you want to get in the lineup. How do you know someone is the right one to marry? I'm going to read the email in a couple of minutes, but how do you know? If you have thoughts, if you have questions, if you go, oh, my gosh, I can tell you the top two or three things to know if this person is the right one to marry. Call us, 1-800-548-8255, 1-800-548-8255. Uh, Or you can also text us at 941 266 7676. 941 266 7676. How do you know someone is the right one to marry? It is a great question. Do you know? I I can't remember, as many years as we've been on the air, I cannot remember an email that was uh, like this one. This is a very interesting email. But do you know? Have you married successfully? Have you been married for a while? And you say, I know exactly what you need to look for for the right one to marry. Are you divorced? But through your divorce or divorces, you say, I know the top tips to look for to make sure this person is the right one to marry. What do you think? Call me 1-800-548-8255, 1-800-548-TALK, or text us 941 266 seven six seven six here it is David I'm confused on marriage how does one really know a person is the right one to marry Uh, several months ago you said 65% of first marriages end in divorce and it's about that it's about 65 uh, 58 65% of first marriages end in divorce I'm 36 never married dating a guy for a year he recently proposed he's 39 I said yes Now, I want advice from you and your listeners. We bickered a lot in the beginning, but there is an intense love on both sides. Uh, I have this deep love for him, and one of the reasons is because he always does the right thing in life. Interesting. Uh, I'm much more flexible and forgiving that he is in times, but I often find he's correct. We have a great level of communication. Uh, I look at him now after being with him for 12 months, and I never get tired of seeing him. I always light up when we're together, even if I'm only thinking about him. How do you know a person is the right one to marry? I love this question. Help me out here. How do you know? You know, and first of all, let me say this. If you're looking for someone who's perfect, if you're looking for a soulmate, if you're looking for someone that you never argue with, you never disagree with— you're going to be barking up the wrong tree. I can guarantee you that. That's perfection. We're humans, right? But if you're married, how did you know? If you're married for any length of time, how did you know that this person was the right one to marry? How did you know that someone was not the right one to marry? You know, opposites attract, but similar beliefs are crucial. 1-800-548-8255. How do you know? that someone is the right one to marry? I absolutely love this question. Uh, For 25 years now, we have helped counsel couples uh, when they are on the request, on the quest of getting married. Many, many, many people that we have counseled have decided not to after we've gone through work together. Many, many other people have decided that, oh my gosh, after doing this work, yes, we're totally ready, but how do you know how do you know that the person you're with is the right one? How do you know they're not the right one? What do you think about that? 9-4, here's our text number. Nine, we have text coming in already 941 266 7676. Nine, two, six, six, seven, six, seven, six. And of course, your calls are welcome as well 1 800 548 8255. Tim just texted us in and said, uh, It is not the opposites attract that work. I've been married four times. And I can tell you that the opposite is exciting, but it won't be long-term. I look for more similarities in belief systems, and my fourth wife and I see eye-to-eye on most areas of life. So, okay, so Tim just is saying it's about similarities. If you have a lot of similar belief systems, that that is a key. Dallas, I guess that's the name, not the city, Dallas just wrote in and said, divorced Two times, I think it's a crapshoot to pick the right person. Interesting, Dallas. Thank you very much. What do you think? 1-800-548-8255. This woman has been uh, dating for a year, said yes to the proposal, but it's interesting that she's writing in now saying, I want to make sure I'm doing the right thing. She loves seeing him, and after a year, she still gets excited seeing him or thinking about him. That's good, Right. She said they bickered a lot in the beginning, but they have a lot in common. Is that enough? If you were in her situation, would you say, well, you know what? There's nothing bad happening, and it seems like we get along good, and I miss him, and when I think about him, I get excited. Is that enough to marry someone? 1-800-548-8255. Mary just texted in about the whole opposites attract. She said, my husband and I are opposites in many ways. However, our beliefs about the key parts of life, our spiritual practices, are identical. Also, our philosophies on raising children is identical. So we've made it a good match for 15 years. Congratulations, Mary. What do you think? 1-800-548-TALK. 1-800-548-TALK or 941-266-7676. You know, it's interesting. No one has um, responded yet to this woman's email. Oh, here we go. Just as I say that. Larry just texted in and said, "It sounds like she has a good relationship. I wouldn't be concerned about bickering in the beginning. That's all about setting boundaries in love." Fat, I'm not going to read anything more about Larry right now, but let me comment on that: setting boundaries in love. I think in the beginning of a relationship, you know, when when people are in that love struck stage, right? They're 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 like in love, and there's nothing wrong with their partner, and everything's perfect. In the 25 years of counseling people, that is a potential red flag. And why is that? And this seems so oxymoronic, doesn't it? You're going, okay, wait a minute. Here's Mr. Positive, David Essel, saying if everything is perfect in the beginning of the— and I'm saying like for six months or so. Everything is perfect in the first six months of, of, of a dating relationship, be aware. Red flag. And I'm saying, yes, that is a red flag. Do you know why? Because in our counseling work, what we have found often more often than not is within the first six months if everything is perfect then we probably have two extremely codependent people dating each other no one wants to rock the boat no one wants to be open and honest no one wants to say there are certain things that bother me there are certain things that are offending me there are certain things that aren't working does that make sense and so all of a sudden you have what we seem to be this perfect relationship but in actuality we have two people that are just afraid to be honest 1-800-548-8255. one 800 548 Codependency is brutal. Code, the world of codependency is so brutal. When we're afraid to rock the boat, when we're afraid to tell someone that what they're doing or thinking or saying is inappropriate, we could be heading for big trouble. one 800 548 What does the key to great more text come? we got a couple emails coming in, too. You can email us via talkdavid.com. What does it take? What are the signs? What are the tips to know that you are on the right path in regards to marriage? Angela just wrote in. uh, She said, you can say it. I'm from Los Angeles. I'm very open-minded in love. And I will tell you the most important thing is the ability to communicate and bounce back from disagreements, period. Interesting, Angela. Thank you. An important ingredient in a successful relationship leading to marriage is the ability to bounce back from disagreements. Bounce back from disagreements. Fascinating. I'm writing all this stuff down. Ingrid from New York City. Coming from Europe, everything there seems to be so stayed. In the United States, there's a lot of flexibility. I think being flexible with your partner is one of the most important aspects of having a relationship that should lead to marriage. Flexibility is the key. Thank you, Ingrid. Hey, when we come back, we'll get to more of your texts, more of your emails. If you have thoughts and want to call, get in the lineup, 1-800-548-TALK. 1-800-548-TALK. What are the good signs that we should move forward in a relationship into marriage? What should we be looking for? And we're getting blown up with emails and texts. Call us, 1-800-548-TALK. We'll round all this up in just a moment and give you the rundown of what our listeners are saying about how to know if someone is the partner to move forward. But remember, none of this soulmate stuff, none of this perfection, none of this, oh, my God, you know, we've been together, we never argue. That may not be a good sign. Our website, talkdavid.com. Glad to have you with us. I'm David Essel. Stay right there. Yeah, you can be the greatest With you every Saturday, 6 to 9 Eastern, 3 to 6 Pacific. David Essel in the box broadcasting out of studio in Los Angeles, California. Of course, you're listening to us on XM246. We stream worldwide at talkdavid.com. Uh, proud to be part of the Premier Radio Network. And don't forget to like us on Facebook, David Essel Alive on Facebook. Like us there. All kinds of great stuff happening on our website, talkdavid.com. And every show we do is archived for free at talkdavid.com. Let me give you the top three of everyone that texted us, emailed us, the top three categories in order to know if someone could be the right one to marry. Number one, compatible beliefs in life, spirituality, raising children, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Number one, compatible beliefs. So that blows away the opposite stuff, right? Number two, physical attraction came in. Number two. And number three, open and honest communication. Open and honest communication. I like that. Good going, gang. 1-800-548-TALK. My 16-year-old son listens to your show. Very nice. And wants to take creatine when he lifts weights. Is this okay? Uh, Yes. You know, as long as you do it. uh, Under 16, not really quite sure. I don't think there's been a lot of research out there. But 16 and over, if you're lifting weights, you're underneath the guidance of someone that knows how to train, uh, and you're taking the recommended dose. Yeah, the only thing I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you is that some of these, um, like NO2 boosters, nitric oxide boosters, some of these pre-workout energy drinks, really, really skeptical on those. Uh, a lot of people have problems with heart palpitations. Um, wh- you know, a lot of people have problems with um, uh, all kinds of liver enzymes being increased with uh, NO2, NO2, nitric oxide kind of supplements. So be really careful with those pre-workout energy supplements. I'm, I, I'm not a big fan of those. 1-800-548-TALK, 1-800-548-TALK. Um, I just left a relationship with a guy for the 10th time in two years. Okay, here we are just talking about who to marry. This may not be the one, my love. Um, I just left a relationship with a guy for the 10th time uh, in two years. We break up for a week, and then I or he calls, and we have to see each other. He says he won't drink again, then he does. I say I won't drink again, then I do. The alcohol leads to arguments. Hmm, I wonder where we're going here. Why do I keep returning? Great question. I have the answer. We are both educated, we make great money, we love life, but this is ridiculous. Yes, it is ridiculous. If you've been together for two years and you've broken up 10 times over the two years, you break up for a week, so you don't talk, you don't see each other for a week, and then you get back together, why? Number one, the hormone called oxytocin. Oxytocin is the bonding chemical. So when, and women have more of this than men, but men do have it, and when it comes to like having sex with someone, And then you stop having sex and break up, usually around seven days, the withdrawal from the oxytocin is so high that you feel this need to have that desire quenched. And so many times people will come back together. So that's one. Uh, Codependency is another reason that you guys keep returning to each other, a fear of being alone. So that's easily it. So we have oxytocin, we have a codependency, a deep emotional addiction. You could be addicted to love and chaos. You know, lots of of couples that we work with and individuals that we work with who have seen um, chaos in their lives growing up, parents arguing, parents fighting, parents drinking, parents breaking up, parents getting back together, et cetera. They repeat that because that's what they saw as a child, and so they believe that that's what love is. And if that's what they saw as a child, then they will naturally pick someone who will agree with them and fight and argue, break up, not see each other for a week and get back together. And they're just repeating what their environment told them to. Um, I'll tell you what I would recommend. If you guys love each other, and you still could love each other, right? You see. You see, you know, that you guys have uh, a lot. You keep getting back together. It could be oxytocin. It could be codependency. You could be addicted to love and chaos. But let's say you want to give it a shot. You know what I would do? I would be alcohol-free for six months. I would say, you know what? No alcohol in either of our lives, 100% sober for six months. And at that same time for six months, I would see a counselor, a coach, a minister. I would see someone like myself. And I would work with that person. Six months, both of you sober. You'll know if that's the relationship for you. 1-800-548-8255. For more information on all the work we do with couples and singles with love, talkdavid.com. Check it out. Uh, Oh, this is interesting. Uh, 16-year-old girl. Oh, you know what? Okay, I'm a 16-year-old girl who called you one year ago when I was 15, obviously. LOL. That's cute. I asked you about sex as my boyfriend was pressuring me. I finally gave in, and I regret it. For all teenage girls, here's why. Okay, she gave a list of why she regret all the reasons that she regretted having sex as a 15-year-old. Uh, number one, as David always says, I was codependent. Interesting. I was afraid he'd leave me, reject me, if I said no to sex. So that's number one. Number two, he left me anyway. I know. Number three, the sex was terrible. Neither of us knew what we were doing. It was not a good experience. We did it many times and it was never fulfilling for me. Number four, I felt used. And number five, now I feel stronger. I followed your advice, David. I set very strong boundaries with sex and I'm really happy. Well, good for you. You know, I have to tell you that a lot of teenagers that I've worked with in the past will say the same thing. The reason I had sex with my first boyfriend or my first girlfriend even or my second or my third is because they were pressure me and I felt that they would leave me. And then after having sex with them, they left me anyway. What does that tell us? It tells us that we're highly codependent, right? We keep using that word codependent. It tells us that we're afraid to be rejected. We're afraid to stand up. And if you know it's not the right thing for you to do, then guess what we've got to be strong enough, and this is not easy. I'm telling you what the correct answer is, but I'm not saying it's easy. we've got to be willing to follow what's right in our heart and soul. Thank you so much to this. i won't mention her name to the sixteen year old who wrote in with your tips for other girls. I think that is awesome one eight hundred five four eight eight two five five one eight hundred. Five four eight eight two five five. 8255 This is fascinating. My boyfriend says at times he feels like he's dating a guy. I really love sex and I want to make love four times per week. Okay, so this is a woman writing. She wants to make love four times per week. We're both 45. Um, he desires it one time per week. He gets tired of me coming to bed in lingerie. Oh, my God. What guy would get tired of seeing their girlfriend come to bed with lingerie? Because he knows what I want. Hello. I'm very unselfish and always make sure his needs are met. It's causing a real strain. I have never, ever received in 22 years on the air, ladies and gentlemen, I've never received an email like this. He gets tired of me coming to bed in lingerie. But I'll tell you what. I'm sort of saying that teasingly. I can understand that. If we're dating someone with a different sex drive than our own, and this happens a lot, we have to be willing to talk about that difference of sex drive. And the difference in sex drive is normal. You know, as guys age, a lot of times their sex drive diminishes. As women age, a lot of times their sex drive increases. I know women 40, 45, 50 that sort of get into their mojo, right? Like all of a sudden they're going, where did this come from? And some of it is emotional reasons. Um, Their children many times are older. They don't feel that they're tied down as much. Their children are more independent. And so they're starting to feel freer. Another is a change in their hormone levels. And with men, sometimes as you hit your 40, 45, 50 years of age, we see a big drop in sex drive because of something like testosterone, uh, low testosterone levels or too high of estrogen levels. So a difference in sex drive is normal. You know, what What I would say to your boyfriend, if if I could, is I'd say, first of all, get help and go and sit and talk to someone about this so that you have a mediator, someone that – so you guys aren't just arguing about this all the time, number one. Number two, see if he would satisfy you the other three days. Um, He can satisfy you without making love to you. There are toys. There's vibrators. There's all kinds of different things that he could use in order to take care of your needs, and then you make love once a week that takes care of his needs, and everyone should be happy, right? You know, there's compromise all over the place, but but we have this big workshop coming up, October 19th and 20th, Love, Intimacy and Sex. You can, you can join us via in, uh, teleconference, or you can do it in person in Fort Myers, Florida. It's only $47 for the weekend, so even teleconference people should be very, very happy doing this. But we're going to cover this, the importance of taking care of your partner's needs even when you're not in the mood. Oh, my God, it's crucial for long-term love. Hey, listen, I'm so happy that you chose to be a little bit part of our show today. Remember always to be bold, be strong, be positive. I'm David Essel, the website TalkDavid.com. See you next Saturday.